Um, last week, I can tell this, uh, last week I wore socks that had Mickey Mouse on them, and uh, that was spotted from across the auditorium, uh, some little kids saw it. So, so they were asking me what socks I was wearing tonight, and I do have festive socks on tonight, uh, but I told them I wouldn't tell them until after Bible class. They have to come tell me what they learned in Bible class, and then I'll show them my socks. So you have to earn it. It doesn't come free around here. Um, do what? I know, I know, no, I, I, I don't, I'll, I'll just wear the same ones over and over again, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, socks, <laughs> that means you've been good all year. Um, well, let's begin, we're ready for Daniel chapter 6, if you want to turn in your Bibles there, Daniel chapter 6, appreciate everybody being here tonight, hope you've had a good week so far, it's been a beautiful week so far, I know she probably wouldn't want me to say this, but we have a birthday girl right back there. Happy birthday to Anna, if you get to see her. Um, I would make us all sing happy birthday to her, but no, we'll spare you from that. Um, Daniel chapter 6, looking forward to this study tonight. We're looking forward, we're looking at a pretty well-known story, pretty well-known passage tonight in Daniel chapter 6 with Daniel in the lion's den, but I hope that we can gain something out of it. I hope we can look at it from maybe a new perspective, maybe See some things in the text that we've never seen before. I'm sure you've heard this story a lot, and we'll, we'll mention more about this as we go, but um, I hope that this is etched into your brain, because I think this is a good way to study Scripture. Uh, if you look at the structure of really any lesson that, that I've presented over the last few months, it's basically these three steps right here, where we want to introduce the text, we want to study it, we want to walk through it, and then we want to apply it. We want to look at Daniel 6 saying, Okay, what happened in the story, but, but not just what happened, how can it impact my life? And how can I live out Daniel chapter 6 tomorrow, the next day, into the weekend? So let's begin by introducing the text. I just want to mention a few things. don't want to spend a lot of time here, uh, but I think just a couple of things that are helpful as we get ready to move into the study. First, we need to notice the historical context of Daniel chapter 6, just so we know where we are and we know what's going on in the story. Uh, there's been a change in kingdom. There's been a change in power as we transition into Daniel chapter 6. We talked about it a little bit last week at the very end of Daniel chapter 5. The first five chapters of Daniel all have to do with the Babylonian Empire. They ruled until about 539 B.C., 625 B.C. to 539 B.C. Well, last week we were looking at the date, specifically October 12th of 539 B.C. And we saw how God allowed the Babylonian kingdom to be conquered by the Medo-Persians. The Medo-Persians entered into the capital city, killed the two highest-ranking rulers, King Nabonidus and then his son Belshazzar, who we talked about last week. Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians. So as we go into Daniel chapter 6, this is the last chapter of the narrative of Daniel. Remember when we started this study, we said there are six chapters of story and narrative chapters that we're really familiar with, but then you move into chapter 7 through the end of the book, and it's like you've jumped in the deep end without your floaties on. We're going to do that next week. Uh, but just to mention, I think this is important for us to notice that Babylon has been overthrown Medo-Persia is now reigning. Remember Daniel 2, the head of gold Babylon has now given way to the chest of silver Medo-Persia. With a change in kingdom, there's been a change in king 
of course. When you look in Daniel chapter 5 and verse 31, when the Medo-Persians took over, Darius the Mede began to reign. He's the, the king of the Medes who reigned alongside of the king of the Persians, Cyrus, for about two years. Verse 31 says uh, of Daniel chapter 5, the very last verse there, says that Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. I only mention him because he's going to be one of the main players. He's going to be one of the main characters in the study, the, the text that we walk through tonight in Daniel chapter 6. So that's just a note to talk about where we are in the book of Daniel, to talk about what's going on in the world. Medo-Persia is reigning specifically with King Darius on the throne. Like I said a minute ago, tonight we're looking at a story that I like to call a VBS story, Vacation Bible School story. This is a story that we're taught when we're little, right? If you had the chance to be in Sunday school or to go to a church camp or to be a part of a VBS, chances are you heard Daniel chapter 6 taught there. For instance, last summer, whenever I taught at a church camp, a whole day was dedicated to this study in Daniel chapter 6, and I was teaching like 25 10 to 11 year olds, which was a lot of fun. I'd rather teach you guys. Um, I couldn't keep them quiet. Can't get y'all to talk. No, that's okay. Um, but uh, this is a story, like I said, that's well known. And I think when a story is so well known, when we've read it and we've heard it a lot, it gets, I don't know, we, we don't go in depth about it and we don't really think about it. Maybe we, we, we know, okay, I, I know this story, so I'm just going to glance through it, just going to kind of skim through it. I think that's illustrated in this picture. You know, Daniel's thrown into the lion's den, and this might be the way that we tell it to kids, that he's sitting with the lions, and the lions are really cute, and they're smiling at him. I think that kind of strips the story of, of what really happened, how amazing, and how scary this story would have actually been in Daniel chapter 6. So this is a story that you've heard before. You know the ending of this story. You know what happens. But like I said, I hope we can look at it from a new perspective. I hope we can look at it with new eyes, fresh eyes. As, as I studied this, I tried to study it and read it as if I've never studied it and read it before. And I saw some things that I hadn't saw or noticed before. I hope that we can all do that tonight as we walk throughout this chapter. So is there anything else we want to mention there in, in Daniel 6, just kind of where we are and what's going on in this story? Okay, well, let's go ahead and dive in. First nine verses of Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, and to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps became, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground of complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." 
Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. So as we start reading in Daniel 6, I think where we need to start and what we need to recognize is that this is a new kingdom. Darius is just establishing his rule. The government of the Medo-Persians is just starting. This kingdom is brand new. So if you're going to start a brand new kingdom, what is one of the things you'd want to do? Perhaps one of the things that you would want to do is set up your government, right? You'd want to make sure that was in place. You'd want to make sure you have organization. The Medes and the Persians were reigning over this really big territory, almost the entire known world at the time. And so as they start to rule, as this kingdom, this, this Medo-Persian kingdom begins, one thing that they would want to do is set up their government to make sure their government is in place, that rulers are in place. So King Darius does that. He sets up, the Bible says, 120 satraps that ruled over, you can't make this up, satrapies. Uh, the, the word satraps means uh, a protector of the kingdom. He, spread, he, he would have spread them out throughout the entire kingdom, throughout the entire land, and they would have basically enforced the law. They would have collected taxes. They would have done things like that. I mean, the, the king is just in one place. He needs people spread out throughout the entire kingdom who can reign, who can rule, who can enforce, who can collect. So he sends out these 120 satraps. So you have them, if you look at it kind of like a pyramid, you have them at the bottom, and then on top of them, you had what? Three people, the text says. Three high officials, the Bible calls them. This would have been a very trusted position from King Darius because one of the main jobs of these high officials was to make sure the satraps didn't dip their hand into something they shouldn't dip their hand into. Like when they're collecting tax money, the three high officials were there to make them accountable that they didn't take any of that tax money and put it in their pocket. These 120 satraps answered to, they were accountable to, these three high officials. So th th this would have been a very trustworthy position. You have the 120 satraps, you have the three high officials who then are accountable to King Darius the Mede. What's so important about these three officials to our study? Why are they even mentioned? Daniel's one of them, right? We don't know how Darius heard about Daniel. It's interesting to me, I mentioned just a minute ago, that when the Medo-Persians took over, they killed the first two guys in charge. You remember who the third guy in charge was when the Babylonians were overthrown? Remember what we said last week? Because Daniel read and interpreted the handwriting on the wall, he was the third man in charge. He was very short-lived, but that's the position that he had. He, secular history tells us that the first in charge, King Nabonidus, was killed by the Medo-Persians. Daniel chapter 5 tells us that the second in command, King Belshazzar, his son, was killed too. Daniel's left. He's the third in charge. He's not killed. Instead, he's elevated to this really high position where he's reigning alongside of two other high officials, the, all of the satraps throughout the entire region, throughout the entire empire are accountable to him. So we don't know how Darius heard about him. Uh, maybe he heard about the handwriting on the wall. Maybe just because Daniel was in that position and he had heard some things about Daniel, Daniel is given this position within the Medo-Persian empire. Something helpful to note about Daniel 
If we came to meet him in Daniel chapter 1 at age 16, which that was probably 15, 16 was what he was in Daniel 1. When we come to Daniel 6, do you know how old he is? About 83, 84 years old. So from Daniel chapter 1 to Daniel chapter 6, we've spanned the vast majority of Daniel's life. At this point, he's 83, maybe 84 years old, serving as one of these high officials. Did you do a good job? Yeah, the Bible tells us that he did a really good job. When you look in verse number, verse number 3, that Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials. So he was doing so well in this job. He was so trusted by the king that he was standing out. He was, the three of them were equal. They were reigning alongside of each other. They had the same amount of authority. Well, Daniel was emerging as the favorite. He was emerging as the one who is distinguished. In fact, he was doing so well at the end of verse 3 that King Darius planned to make him second in command over the entire kingdom. That's a big deal. You can't get any higher than that without being the king himself. And so Daniel's doing a really, really good job in this position. He's about to be rewarded for it. How did the other two officials feel about that? Well, you're working your job and there's three of you that have equal pay, equal power, and one of them starts to outshine you in every single way. And it looks like they're going to be the one to get the promotion and you're going to stay where you are and they're going to be elevated above you. Now you're going to have to answer to him. How would you be tempted to feel about that? A little bit jealous, right? Maybe a little bit envious. And I think that's what we see from these two officials in verse 4, that they're jealous of Daniel. Here's this Hebrew. They're going to throw this in his face later in the text. Here's this exile from Judah, and he's being distinguished in our kingdom, and he's about to be the second in command throughout the entire Medo-Persian kingdom. Are you kidding me? An exile from the nation of Judah? An outsider? Maybe another reason they were so upset about that, I mean, politicians are known for being maybe a little crooked, especially when you get that high up on the totem pole, especially in this time period, in this ancient world that we're reading about in Daniel chapter 6. Maybe these other two high officials were a little bit crooked. They would take bribes. And, of course, we know Daniel. Daniel would be honest. Daniel would hold on to his integrity. When you're doing something wrong and everybody else is doing what's right, how do you feel about them? Well, again, that can lead to jealousy. That can lead to envy. So maybe that's what we see here with these high officials as they're looking at Daniel. So the first thing they try to do is try to dig up some dirt on him. You know, dig through his Facebook page, look through all his emails, things like that. Try to find some dirt on Daniel. Were they successful in that? They couldn't find a thing. Now, that says a lot about Daniel, doesn't it? There was no corruption, there was no negligence, there was no guilt in Daniel. He had not done anything wrong. The text says he had been faithful in all things. And so they have to move on to plan B. Their plan B is a little bit more deceptive than plan A. As they walk into, beginning in, in verse 6, they recognize that they're not going to get anything against Daniel unless they pin his allegiance to Medo-Persia with his allegiance to God. They're going to make him choose between the law of his God and the law of the Medo-Persians, and they know what choice Daniel's going to make. Every single time, Daniel's going to choose God. Every single time, Daniel's going to choose the Word of God. So let's see if we can make him go against the Medo-Persians by standing with his God. So here they go. They walk in front of King Darius and they tell a lie. 
What's the lie that they tell? Oh, hey, all the high officials are in agreement. We've come up with this thing that in verse 7, that you see there about midway through that verse, the really heart of this, that we've all agreed that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. You think every high official signed off on that? I'm willing to bet that Daniel didn't agree to that. Uh, so they start off with a lie, and they throw out this idea. We know why they're throwing it out. They want to get Daniel in trouble. Why do you think King Darius would have agreed to it? Again, this is a brand new, and this is just speculation, right? But this is a brand new empire, and maybe what he's thinking is, okay, if, if we can get everybody to just pray to me for 30 days, and they forget about everything else, that could be a really big thing for unity. You know, it's just turned over from the Babylonians into the hands of the Medo-Persians. I'm sure there were some people who really didn't like that. And so if we can get everybody to pray to me, if all the attention can be on me instead of another person or another God, then unity will be achieved. It's kind of like what Nebuchadnezzar did in Daniel 3. Remember how he built that big statue to unite the entire kingdom when you hear the music fall down and worship it? I think it's the same kind of thinking here with King Darius that we can really unite this kingdom. And so they push him a little bit on it. They say, okay, sign it. If you like it, sign it into law. Does, does Darius sign it? He does. Yeah, the text tells us that once the Medo-Persian kings signed things into law, they couldn't change it. You know why that was? Well, if you sign something into law, and then you take it back, what's that admitting? Oops, I made a mistake, right? I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. Now I'm taking it back. Especially in an honor-shame culture, a king, the person who is number one in authority, making a mistake, that brings a lot of shame on him. So the, so the rule was, once he signs something into law, you can't change it because it's always going to be the right thing. He's the king. He knows best. So he puts it into law. And we're going to see this plan from these high officials continue to unfold. But anything we want to mention before we keep going? This just kind of sets up this injunction. This ordinance has been signed into law. You can't pray to any other god or any other person for 30 days except King Darius. And if you do... Here's the motivator, right? If we catch you praying to something else, we're going to throw you in the lion's den. Okay, let's keep going. Verse number 10. When yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah, and that would have had the king's yeah, had the king's symbol on it, so we're putting a seal on it. This, yeah, can't be broken. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for pointing that out. Any other thoughts on this before we keep going? Well, yeah, what I read, and I'll, I have a picture up here in just a minute. I don't know. Yeah, there it is. So I think people think this is kind of what it looked like. It was kind of like an underground room, cave that had one opening at the top. What I read was Babylonians like to execute people by fire, which we saw in Daniel 3. We're going to throw you into the fiery furnace. This is the way the Medo-Persians executed people. Is they, would, they would go out and they would trap lions, 
put the lion's down in the lion's den. And we're going to see this in, in, in just a minute. By the time they dropped you in, you were gone before you hit the ground. Um, so that's just the way they did it. If you got in trouble, spend the night in the lion's den. Uh, they would put a rock over the top. Another thing we might not think about this story is that when they sit, there's one way in and one way out, and that's up top. Um, and once they put a rock over that, it's going to be pitch black. Uh, so we're going to see this continue to unfold, but yeah, that's a good question. I've, based on what I've seen, they've all, they always had this ready. Yeah. Okay, any other thoughts? Let's keep going. Verse number 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not, I mean, you can just hear this in their voice, right? Did, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes the petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Again, just throwing that in the king's face. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. Then the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and, the, and sleep fled from him. Okay, so this has been signed into law. Can't change it. You can't pray to anybody, any God, for 30 days. What does Daniel do? Well, let's, before we say that, how, what could Daniel have done? Was, do what? Yeah, right? Yeah, you know, you could pray, but close the window. Uh, yeah, so he could have changed that little part of his prayer. And even, even I was thinking, you know, 30 days is not that long, right? Just one month. God, I'll, I'll talk to you in 30 days, okay? I, I, I know you would rather me save my life than, than talk to you for a month. You know that I love you. You know my heart. I'll talk to you in a month. Could have done that. Could have shut the window. So what did Daniel do? What did it change? You know, Daniel could have went out in the middle of the city and thrown a big fit. Didn't do that either. What's interesting to me is it didn't change anything. It didn't add to, didn't take away. The text says he did as he had done previously. No ordinance was going to get in the way of his relationship with God. Didn't matter what the king said. Didn't matter what the punishment was. Daniel wasn't even going to go 30 days without talking to God. So three times a day, he went up, he knelt in front of an open window facing westward toward the city of Jerusalem, 
and he prayed to God and he poured out thanksgiving to God. Well, that plays right into the hands of our other high officials, doesn't it? They get together, and, and this isn't happenstance. You know, th- this is intentional. They come together by choice and say, hey, we, we know Daniel prays at this time. Let's go see if he's doing it. We can get him in trouble. Either they bust into his house and come up to the upper room, or more than likely what they do is they see him through the window, the open window where he's praying facing Jerusalem. They see him praying through the window. Maybe people debate on, maybe they watched him for several days. Maybe they watched him just one time. One time is really all that they needed. It says that the the text says they knew he prayed three times a day. So they stay basically long enough until they get the evidence that they're looking for, the evidence that they need. And then here they go back to Darius. Hey, did you, you remember how you signed that into law? You know, that whole thing about you can't pray for 30 days to any God or any man or they're going to be thrown into the lion's den. Well, yeah, yeah, I I remember it. We just signed it. Uh, I can't change it. The kicker comes, verse number 13. Daniel, who's one of those exiles from Judah, a foreigner, pays no attention to you, O king. He doesn't pay any attention to what you've said. But he makes his petition three times a day. How did the king respond to that? Contrast that with Nebuchadnezzar. How did Nebuchadnezzar respond whenever Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego failed to bow down before the statue? How did he feel? What was his emotion? Rage? Anger? How does Darius feel? Distressed. Yeah, he's sorrowful, the text says in Daniel chapter 6. He was much distressed. And he spent the rest of the day trying to figure out, how can I, how can I save him? Where's the loophole in this? Of course, he, he couldn't find it. I think the king loved Daniel. I think the king respected Daniel. But even more than that, Daniel was a valuable asset to him. He was about to make Daniel the second in command in the entire kingdom. I mean, Daniel is valuable. Daniel is trustworthy. Daniel is his highest ranking servant, distinguished above everybody else. He would hate to lose him. And so he tries to find a loophole, but of course can't find one. So the king commands Daniel to come, and they throw him down into the lion's den. Yeah. Well, it'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. It'll, de- yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know if his distress for what was happening to Daniel maybe outweighed that or took priority over that. What, anyone have any thoughts on that? Why maybe he didn't question, hey, why'd you lie to me? Why'd you deceive me just a few days ago? Yeah, that's a good question. I, and it, it's hard to know for sure. I, uh, I guess where I would come down is he's just, I mean, he's distressed. He's sorrowful here over Daniel. And, of course, he can take care of that at any time. But Daniel's about to be thrown into the lion's den right now. This is immediate. He's going to spend the night there tonight. Uh, but can't find any way around it. So, Daniel's thrown in. You can kind of see what that would have looked like. Uh, they slide the rock over the top, making it completely pitch black dark. And the last thing that he hears before the rock goes over the opening 
is the words of Darius. I think it's, it shows, again, Daniel's impact on him. May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. It's ironic. Daniel's getting thrown into the lion's den for what? Praying to God? What's Darius doing? Basically praying to God. May, may your God deliver you from this. Darius realizes there's nothing he can do about it. He can't change it. And so maybe God can do something about this. You know, Darius has probably heard about those things that happened in the past with relation to Daniel. So, it, of course, it, it wouldn't be impossible. It wouldn't be a completely something that, that wouldn't happen. So the stone is, is brought over the top. They seal it with the signet ring. Again, placing his symbol on it. That would show anybody, hey, don't mess with this. Don't try to get him out because look at this symbol. You see this? This is the king's symbol. And if you move this and try to get this guy out, it's, you're going to be the one in there next. So that would kind of deter anyone, discourage anyone from trying to get in it or save Daniel or, or even move the stone just a little bit. Uh, seeing the, the stamp on there from the king. Okay, well that brings us to the end of that, that section. Is there anything else we want to mention there? So Daniel's in the lion's den. What's expected from everybody? Except maybe King Darius, right? He has these hopes that Daniel might be saved from this. But, I mean, basically, what does everybody expect to happen? I mean, we're going to go back in the morning and there's going to be nothing but a skeleton, right? Daniel's going to be gone. The lions are going to maul him. They're going to devour him. They're ready for something to eat. Well, let's see what happens. And I, I think, just for the sake of time, let's kind of... Uh, summarize this as we go and instead of reading all of it. So the text says there at the beginning of verse 19, at the break of day, it makes me think about Christmas. I don't know what kind of rules you might have had in your house, but my parents' rule has always been you have to wait till the sun comes up in order to go and open presents. Anybody else have that rule? You have to see the sun. Yeah, yeah, you, you have to see the sun. Don't get me up before you can see the sun. As soon as Darius sees the sun. The text said that he didn't sleep at all that night. He didn't need anything. He's fasting. He's hoping that God's going to do something about this. As soon as he saw the sun, he made his way to the lion's den. And you can imagine him moving the rock, that heavy rock that would have been on top of it, pushing it out of the way. And he calls down into the lion's den, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continue? That's the second time we've seen that phrase. Was Daniel consistent in his faith? He was, wasn't he? And everyone recognized that. The God whom you serve some of the time, whom you serve when you feel like it. No, whom you serve continually. Has He been able to deliver you from the lions? Contrary to what everybody expected, and in step with what the king was hoping for, Daniel calls back, O king, live forever. What does that tell us? I mean, just the fact that he responded. It doesn't matter what he said. Just the fact that he responded shows us that God intervened in this. This is something that would have never happened before. God has done something here, and Daniel is still alive. He says, O king, live forever. He talks about what happened that night. How God sent His angel to stop the mouths of the lions. It's interesting. To, I mean, couldn't God have just stopped the mouths of the lions without sending an angel? Why do you think He sent an angel then? Maybe so that Daniel wouldn't do what? 
Yeah, so that Daniel wouldn't be alone, right? Sitting in the darkness by himself all night. Maybe the reason that angel was there was to be with Daniel, to show Daniel you're not in this lion's den by yourself. So the, the, the lion came. He says they shut the lion's mouth. This is verse 22. And they haven't harmed me. He gives three reasons for that. He says, number one, verse 22, because I was found blameless before God. I hadn't done anything wrong in his sight. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. This kind of goes back to what Joel was mentioning. Who did the king harm? Uh, it wasn't Daniel, right? It was the other two high officials who deceived him and, and lied to him, who got Daniel thrown into the lion's den in the first place because of their jealousy and envy. The king recognizes and Daniel recognizes, I didn't do anything to wrong you. And then the third thing comes not from Daniel's mouth, but from the editor who put this book together, that no harm, verse 23, was found on him. Why? Because he trusted in his God. You know what that tells me? That tells me that Daniel didn't know how this was going to turn out. When Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, he didn't know if he was going to get out. He didn't know if he was going to die. He's going into the lion's den, and all that he knew is, I trust God. I'm doing what's right, and I'm going to place my trust in him. So the rest of the text is really a reversal of events. Daniel's brought out of the lion's den, and who's thrown in? Those other two high officials. Can you see how that's reversed? The two high officials, more than likely just them. I, I mean, it'd be hard to throw the all 120 satraps with their kids and their wives in there. So it's probably just the two high officials who were reigning with Daniel at the time. Their wives and their children were also thrown in. They would do that just to X the possibility of a future rebellion a future seeking out revenge for that. So they would go ahead and wipe out the entire family. The Bible says before they reached the bottom of the pit, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones. That's amazing. Daniel stayed in there all night. And as soon as these guys are thrown in there, they don't even hit the bottom before the lions have already devoured them. Wow. Um, another reversal. King Darius, at the beginning of the chapter, sent out an ordinance saying, you can't pray to any god except me. What's he doing at the end of the chapter? Completely reversed. You can't pray to anyone except the god of Daniel. He says, he sends, and if you want to compare this, it's, it's eerily similar with what we find at the beginning of Daniel chapter 4, the first three verses Remember when Nebuchadnezzar learned his lesson by crawling around like a beast on the ground and he went crazy and lost his mind? He sent out an ordinance that said almost the same thing that Darius says, uh, talking about, uh, in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. He's the living God. What does that mean? All the other gods aren't. He's the living God. He's eternal. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And he delivers and rescues. How do we see that? Well, we see it in Daniel. He's standing right here. God saved Daniel from the mouths of the lions. So the text tells us at the very end of the narrative section of Daniel that Daniel prospered the rest of his days under the reign of, of, of Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian. Okay, well next week, like I said, we're jumping into the deep end in Daniel chapter 7. We're going to start looking at those, some of those harder chapters. But is there anything else we want to mention here about Daniel 6 before we take maybe four minutes to draw out some application? Okay. 
Well, let me just mention a few. Expect persecution. I think we can, we can learn a lot of things from this text, a lot more than what we're going to see on the screen tonight. But number one, expect persecution. Do you think this surprised Daniel? Oh, wow. Someone wants to do something to me because, because I'm, I'm righteous, because I'm doing what's right, because I'm honest and I'm holding on to my integrity and I'm doing all that I can. I, I've never experienced this before. I don't think that this persecution caught Daniel off guard the problem with us, though, in our setting, living in 21st century America, persecution surprises us. Well, it shouldn't be that way. That person shouldn't say something bad to me because I'm doing what's right or, or doing what Jesus would want me to do. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, Paul says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Don't be surprised by persecution. Don't be surprised when people say things to you or they do things to you that are out of the way because you're dedicated to God and you're dedicated to honesty and integrity and doing the best that you can. Don't be surprised. Expect it. Expect it. We see that. We could go to a lot of passages in the New Testament, but we need to move on. Number two, I think this is important, again, especially in the world that we live in right now. The fact that allegiance to God is more important than allegiance to country. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Daniel loved the Medo-Persian Empire. He loved the Babylonian Empire. He served both of them faithfully. He did all that he could to be a blessing to both of them. He did all that he could to advance them and, and to work for the good of the Babylonians, to work for the good of the Medo-Persians. But when it came down to it, in Daniel chapter 6, if he had to choose between king and country and God, he's going to choose God every single time. I mean, every single time. There's nothing wrong with being a patriotic person. I think that's a good thing. But what happens when my allegiance to my country is stronger than my allegiance to God? What happens when my allegiance to a political party or a political candidate is stronger than my allegiance to God? What happens when I spend more time reading the news than I do reading my Bible? What happens when I post more about politics and political issues than I do about Jesus and spiritual things? Maybe it's something we need to think about. That allegiance to God is always more important. We saw that with the apostles in Acts the 5th chapter when they said we must obey God rather than man. Romans 13 says that we should live in submission to our government, but what happens when that contradicts submission to God? I'm going to obey God rather than man. Every time, I'm going to choose to be, a, 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 I'm going to choose to be faithful to God rather than being a patriotic person. That's when the two come into conflict with one another. Let me mention number three, faithfulness in prayer. This point really stood out to me. Maybe it stood out to you as we read through this text. Daniel preferred to face the lions than go a month without prayer. What would make you go a month without prayer? What would make me go a month without prayer? Maybe if we're honest with that, I've been there. I'm saying this because I've done it. We allow a month to pass and we haven't prayed, and it's not because I'm threatened to be thrown in the lion's den, but I just didn't have time. I was too busy. Daniel said, yeah, I'll, I'll be thrown in the lion's den trusting in God rather than going a month without prayer. Just 30 days. That's amazing to me. What would make us go a month without prayer? Maybe we need to study a little bit more about faithfulness in prayer. Not just having a prayer life, but making prayer your life, I think, is the key there. And then number four, trust in God. 
Daniel didn't know how this was going to turn out. No idea how it was going to happen. No idea if he was going to die or if he was going to live. He knew he was going to be thrown into the lion's den. And he trusted in God anyway. I don't know where you might be right now. It might be the case that you're going through something difficult. Something painful. Something unknown. Where you're not sure how it's going to shake out. And you're not really sure what the conclusion is going to look like. God never promises that we're not going to be thrown into the lion's den. Sometimes we will be. And the challenge of this text is you have to trust Him anyway. The message is not you won't be thrown into the lion's den. The message is you won't be thrown into the lion's den by yourself. Trust in God. He's always going to be there. And if He decides, He'll grant deliverance. He'll grant salvation. He did in this story. And I think that's something that He still does today as the living God, the One who endures forever, the One whose kingdom will never be destroyed and His dominion will have no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Does that sound like a God you can trust? I hope that you can. You, the promise is not you won't be thrown in the lion's den. The promise is that you won't be thrown in alone. Is there anything else we want to mention before we extend the invitation? Yeah, a pagan king. I think it speaks to Daniel a lot. You know, Daniel is living such a life where they're able to look at Daniel's life and say, you know, you continually serve this God, maybe He'll save you. Yeah, that's amazing. I wonder if we have that kind of influence on people. Yeah, great thought. Anything else we want to mention here? Okay, well, if you want to prep for next week, we'll be in Daniel chapter 7. Looking forward to that. Uh, maybe it's the case that you're looking at some of these things up on the screen and, and saying, I struggle with that. Um, you don't have to struggle alone. We're here for you as your brothers and sisters. We'd love to help you right now as together we stand and sing.
thine arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. Let's be dismissed. Dear God, we thank you for this time that we had to gather together this evening to take time in the middle of our week and to focus on you. We pray that everything we've done here tonight has been pleasing and acceptable to you. Thankful for Tyler and for his ability to bring us a message from your word. We pray that we would take the lessons from Daniel and that we would apply them to our hearts and, and seek to be more like Daniel, to have the faith and courage more like him. Be with us as we go throughout the rest of our week. Help us to, to live a life where people realize that we're Christians and to live an example that makes people want to be Christians as well. Forgive us when we fail and fall short of that and of the other things that, that we do that we know we shouldn't. Help us to do better in the future. Be with us as we depart. Keep us safe and bring us back together on Sunday. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.